I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Like victory. Hey listeners, welcome back to Full Metal Movie Reviews. It's your host Sam Boy, and this week we've got the Quentin Tarantino's homage to the golden generation or golden era of Hollywood. It's his ninth film, second to last according to him. It's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, with me to discuss all things bloated, mundane, and borderline boring, is Anth. Anth, how are you, bud? Yeah, good, man, good. Um, yeah. Okay, <laughs> listeners, listen up. <clears throat> Full disclosure, I have not seen this movie. You see, sometimes I don't appear on these podcasts, as you would be aware, there's other people that, you know, jump on with Sandboy and, and talk about things. Um, this was not one designed for me i didn't go see this movie because as far as i knew i was out of this pod man this this wasn't this wasn't mine art killer done that's how i roll that's all good that's all good i got things going on too i'm a busy man so age who has bailed on this twice this this is the deal all right not once i don't mind Not once i don't twice not once not once, twice. Look, I don't, I don't mind picking up the slack, all right? I haven't even seen this movie, and I guarantee this pod is going to be money, and it's going to be <laughs> top-downloaded over any crap that you appear on, because guaranteed, Phony is going to pick up the slack and deliver an epic podcast on a movie he hasn't even seen. You yeah, hear me? So you just, you just keep bailing, Age. You just keep bailing, because I'll always be here to pick up the slack. All right, man, that's my promo done. Anyway, this movie, yeah, go for it, Sam. <coughs> it's all yours. I'm going to be quiet for 90 minutes. Now, the reason why, okay, so, yeah, we had a bit of some scheduling conflicts, uh, that being I have I keep a schedule and others don't. But um, <laughs> that's a dig. That's a dig. But basically, Anth has got roped into this one. You know, he does most of these now, but he got roped into this one because one is reliable. But two, two, he has very strong opinions about the man Tarantino. Very strong opinions, and I thought it'd be um, a bit of a hook, a bit of a, a way to maybe perhaps discuss Tarantino films, maybe as well as this film was upon a time in Hollywood, and perhaps have some just broader discussion on, uh, I guess, Tarantino's filmography and sort of maybe his legacy as a filmmaker. But we'll get to that. So, Ed, this film. <sighs> I'm gonna I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep it positive because I'm a Tarantino fanboy and I think I've said this before on the podcast but 2019 has been a bleak year for films and it hasn't been one that I've no that's not true I enjoyed Rocket Man we didn't review it because no one else saw it 
But I loved Rocket Man. Uh, I thought that was an entertaining film. But my point is, 2019 has been a very bleak year for films. So when we uh, saw that Tarantino was releasing his um, Charlie Manson uh, a, a story about the Manson murderers uh, set in the late 60s, early 70s, starring Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, I thought, hot dog, we got a winner. We got a winner here, sorry. We got a fucking big time movie coming out. It's going to be great. It's going to be triple A okay. Tarantino doesn't make back-to-back duds. Well, I think we've got a back-to-back dud. <laughs> we've got a back-to-back dud. So, this film is is, is very, um, is very, I guess, disingenuous in how it it implies what is the story. So, it was kind of pitched about the Charles Manson murders, and in essence, it is. It is about that. Um, but in reality... It is fundamentally a movie about a fading uh, movie star slash TV star, Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and his longtime stunt double slash best friend, Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt. And it's about these guys, or it's about, in particular, Rick Dalton transitioning from having a, a very promising um, start as a, as a bounty hunter on a Western TV show in the 50s, and then he decides to go make um, some movies and these movies don't really pay off. They they don't really have that massive success or appeal that he was aiming for. And But by making that play, he's kind of compromised his ability um, as a leading man because it's shown that he can't really... He doesn't have the, the uh, maybe the star appeal to get to lead or be a leading man in films. But it's also being at the detriment of his TV career. So now what he's doing, he's playing the bad guy or the heavy, as it has he, he's referred to in this film. And um, he is in a position that every week, week after week, he's a guest role in someone else's TV show as the bad guy. And he fundamentally loses or gets beaten. And so we start off by having his career explained to him by Opportuno saying... Eventually, if you play the heavy for long enough, people psychologically like, will just say, psychologically, um, psychologically, I can't even say the word, I've got tongue tied today. Psych, what, help me out here. Psychologically, that's the word, um, associate uh, Rick Dalton as being the guy who consi- consistently gets beat. So. Al Pacino, I can't remember his character's name, is trying to get Rick Dalton over to Italy to film some spaghetti westerns and some cheap uh, James Bond knockoffs. All right, so you got that. Then you got Rick Dalton, his sidekick driver, uh, Gopher, I think he's called, who's also like a badass stunt double. And he is fundamentally on the payroll. But there's a genuine friendship between the two. And... Because Rick Dalton's star is on the decline, that also means um, Cliff's uh, employment opportunities are drying up because if everybody wants to start, nobody's going to want his fucking starting double, right? And then weaved in amongst this is Sharon Tate. And Sharon Tate is you just following Sharon Tate around, really. She's not, and she's played by um, Margot Robbie. And you're just following Sharon Tate around and just observing her life and how she lives a very carefree, um, I would say, 
not placid, but almost like a whimsical sort of carefree lifestyle. And if you have prior knowledge about the Manson murders, and I assume, Anthony, you do, you know that Sharon Tate was brutally murdered whilst eight months pregnant. She, Her baby died. She died with uh, three other people in the home that she was living in the Hollywood Hills um, by Charles Manson's the family. Uh, Tex and three other women killed. So you have this, on, uh, I guess, this sort of, I want to say not bait, but she's used to kind of depict that something terrible is going to happen to her. And you feel this sense of dread every time you... Because th- you, you're reminded of her beauty and of her... Uh, not innocence, but just vitality, her life, and how she was so um, just a fucking a work of art, right? She... So you know with the Manson murderers lurking in the background that something terrible is going to happen at the end of this film. She doesn't... Margot Robbie doesn't have a lot of... Ro- um, a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, lines in this film. Um, but I guess that's not really important. I get the why her motive as to being involved in this picture. All right. Long story short, I'll cut to the chase, listeners. Um, I'll cut the shit. Get straight to the point. The Manson family, instead of uh, murdering um, Sharon Tate, i.e. Margot Robbie... They they home invade um, uh, uh, Rick Dalton's house and <laughs> Cliff Booth basically beats him up and Rick Dalton <laughs> tortures it with a flamethrower, which is a prop in one of his movies from the 50s. Um, now, Ant, are you still with me? No, Ant, are you there? Anth. Oh, God. Anth. Hello. Anth. Anthony. All right. He's gone on away. Anth, for fuck's sakes. Hey. Yeah. Hold your horses. Can't hear you. Hold up. Hey. Hello. Yeah. Oh. This. What happened? What's going on? I don't know, man. I was just uh, listening to you. I tried to talk a couple of times. I thought maybe I was on mute, but um, all right, hold on. Testing, testing. Just bring my volume down a little bit. I've just switched over to some headset I got, so I'm not sure what the quality is going to be like. Let's plug in my USB one again. See if that picks up. Oh. Uh, 
Can you hear me? Yeah, you sound a bit far away, though. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yes? Yeah. The fuck went... I'll just grab this other one, just in case I cut out again, and I'll leave it close by. You can still hear me, yeah? Yeah. Yep. Just hold on, man. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah, shut up. Oh, at least it, like, cut off at one point, hey? There you go. All right. Oh, ready when you are, man. All right. Um, I can't remember what I was going to so ask. So you were at, um, Anth, did I lose you or yeah, okay. you, were, uh, you were about to ask me a question? Sorry. I can't remember the question. Anth, so you following me? Ask me. I just asked me. Uh, yeah, that's the one. Just ask me what my thoughts are or something. All right. So what's your thoughts on that? Well, that sounds a bit fucked up, man. Um, It's not really <laughs> fucked up. It's The violence is comedic at the end. Uh, but what I found is that the journey is definitely better than the destination. So the payoff is that it's a fair, it's very much a fairy tale, as inferred by the title, "Once Upon a Time," and that Sharon Tate mm. doesn't get brutally murdered, um, and um, you know Rick Dalton gets to be a real life hero, and he saves the day. Um, and so I- in reality, they what they just rewrite. I mean, I get it, obviously it's a fictionalized story, but they've taken like real events, real people, and Quentin Tarantino is just like, this is how it should have been. Uh, not not how it should have been. He just had these characters and he wove in a narrative um, of yeah, revisionist history. Why? So that, and this is my point. Why? I mean, okay, that's exactly like, my point. Um, <laughs> what's his What's his issue? So I think it's disingenuous because for one reason. Sharon Tate, what made this whole situation so shocking was that Sharon Tate was pregnant, heavily pregnant, eight months pregnant, and they killed her and the baby, um, and they deformed corpses and wrote pig and stuff in their blood and did horrific things to all involved, all the victims. Um, So by having them killed in such a comedic way, it kind of takes away their power and their relevancy, I guess, by saying that you're nothing but just fucking drugged up, dropout hippies that fucking had no purpose. But at the same time, at the end of the day, Sharon Tate still died. And I find that not disturbing, but when I left this movie, I felt really just a, a, a pit of sadness and a pit of like, yeah, but she really did die in real life. And I just, it didn't. It wasn't like watching Hitler get blown up because Hitler did die and he did commit suicide. So the outcome was the same, I guess, in that sense for Inglorious Bastards. But here, I don't know. I don't know. I think this movie fundamentally is... has some great moments. Um, in particular, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad, um, Brad Pitt had good chemistry. Their friendship seems genuine. And they both give a performance. Both of them give great performances. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio has a couple of scenes where he's fucking up some dialogue on a film set 
and he goes back to his trailer and he improvises just like this whole dialogue of how much of a fuck up he is an alcoholic and how he's a, a, a just a a dickhead and dipshit he can't remember his lines he's not a professional and then he comes back to life and nails the next scene Brad Pitt has an excellent sequence where he's driving around Hollywood he picks up a drifter takes the drifter back to some ranch where the Manson family's staying and the Manson family do not want him to go to this particular house and this house is like on a hill by itself on the ranch and it's very weird and seedy looking and very and there's a lot of tension in this environment and in this atmosphere and uh Brad Pitt as his character's Cliff is like yeah no I'm going to that house <laughs> and it's very cool and calm suave and confident he has a cool dog that you'd like and the dog six balls and he bites on dick <laughs> at the end <laughs> so you like that yeah uh, um, yeah okay <laughs> but, but, what do you take me for, man? What do you take me for? No, you like dogs, and you like you like you like you know, but dogs sick and balls. Sure. But the dialogue is good, but at times it's boring. Um, I found the Sharon Tate stuff. I don't know, bore, yeah, lame. It's a bloated film. Um, I think the narrative is somewhat aimless. Uh, it's okay to be on. Like I would argue that the. I'm not a I'm not a child of the 60s or 70s, right? So I was born in the late 80s. So my reference of films is I like a lot of stuff from the 50s, 60s. Don't get me wrong, but fundamentally, I don't care about shows like FBI that they superimposed uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in. Um, I like The Great Escape. I think that's a fine film, but again, superimposing Leonardo DiCaprio in The Great Escape is not a big selling point for me. So I find a disconnect with the material, the source material. And when you go for so long, for two and a half, no, so I think it's closer to three hours, you fucking want to have, I don't know, a storyline better than two mates fucking around and then killing some fucking psycho hippies in the last 30 minutes. If that makes sense. So what you described to me just sounds like a Tommy Wiseau movie. It just, you know, it just sounds like well, a piece of shit. I wouldn't get, no, 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 it's not going that fast. It's not a piece of shit because the performances you get are phenomenal. Like Leonardo DiCaprio should probably get an Oscar nomination. I'd say that this is as good as, no, not as good, but it's a very good performance. Um, and I appreciate Tarantino doing a lot of things that he normally does. So shot and film, um, there is little CGI besides what I just mentioned about the superimposing Leonardo DiCaprio in, in all these old TV shows. But mm-hmm. it's real sets, uh, real uh, effects. So they literally have a flame for torching someone. <laughs> like that, this is all real. Like it's old school Good. filmmaking. And I, and I appreciate the fact that he's giving car- um, actors, fucking fantastic actors, really good Material where they can deliver powerful performances and give good, um, uh, you know, read good dialogue and have great scenes together. You don't really get that. You don't get you don't get the opportunity to see actors act much these days, to be honest. Besides, like the Oscar bait films that all seem to come out at around November, December to January, that three that you know that three month period where it's all Oscar bait movies. You don't really have the see opportunity to see actors be a character and just live in a character and just like I believe that. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio was Rick Dalton and I, I believe that um, Brad, um, Brad Pitt was uh, the badass Cliff 
Yeah, apparently such a badass that he could beat up Bruce Lee. Now let's get into that. <laughs> yeah, let's get let's get let's get into that because all, right. all this movie sounds like to me is just um just shock value shit for the sake of shock value. No, which it's not shock, I'll value. Get, I'll, it's not shock value. We'll no, get no, into not, we'll get into that value. later. But. The violence in the end is gratuitous, but it's comedic. It's so over the top and so yes, yeah, so Tarantino by the sounds of it. But not like you know how Tarantino when he first started out was doing over the top violence, but he kept it realistic. So like when he's cutting off the yeah. guy's ear in Reservoir Dogs, he's just cutting off a guy's ear. But then at some stage he made that transition, probably around the Kill Bill. Yeah, where, I would definitely say so. Yeah, where violence got OTT and just became gratuitous and over the top, and it was like he was, um, it was like a homage or a reference towards how. B grade movie directors did it because they didn't have the skill set to do it with class and taste and all the. It's funny, it's funny you say that. Um, I've got an issue with Tarantino, as you can probably already tell, which I'll mention a bit later. But remind me to bring back that B grade thing. Talk talk quickly about this um, Bruce Lee thing because whenever I Google this movie, the Sharon Tate stuff, which to me seems to be a bit more um, disrespectful. (laughs) I know I know what you're saying, but but. What pops up most is this the this depiction of um, Bruce Lee. So, um, yeah, talk about that. Um, so Bruce Lee in the film, the guy gets Bruce Lee. I don't have a problem with the guy they got. He's they basically got an impersonator, right? They put a wig on him, and there's just a guy doing an impersonation, which is fine. And that's okay. fine. That's been that's, that's been done through through all of time. Like even like a day after he died. So know, basically, what he does, Ant, he says in the film that he's on set. And Booth, um, Cliff Booth is remembering, like he asked, he asked Cliff, um, sorry, Cliff asked um, Rick if he could get a job on Rick's current uh, TV show. And Rick mm-hmm. says no, because the guy running on stunts is the guy he had an argument, is the guy Cliff had an argument with. So he tells Cliff to go back to his home and fix the aerial, the TV aerial uh, on his roof. So Cliff does. So Cliff goes home. So then when Cliff jumps on the roof, he starts remembering why that guy hated him so much and why he won't hire him. So it has like a little flashback to when they're on set of this film and he's listening to, and Bruce Lee's kind of holding court in the parking lot or just, I don't know, they're all waiting around as they probably do in the set. And Bruce Lee's pretty much saying he could beat up Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay, whatever he's called at the time. Mm. And... The, I can't remember the exact phrasing because, fuck, there's just so much dialogue in this film, but he's pretty much saying uh, Muhammad Ali would not have a chance against him. Like, he would just kill him. Like, literally kill him. Mm. And he's coming off across as a wanker, right? So then Cliff says, you're talking shit. Muhammad Ali would fucking destroy you. He's the world champ. Like, you're an actor. Shut the fuck up. Oh, yeah, this is on the Green Hornet. That's right, because Bruce Lee was on the Green Hornet. Yeah, I figured I figured that out when you yeah. said TV show. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, Priestley says, "How about I'll fucking fight you?" Like, I don't know the the logic between that argument or that whatever Priestley's saying into how them actually fighting is a bit weird. But mm. um, he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, sure. A cliff said agrees to it, and then but Priestley says, "Oh, I can't because if I kill you, you know, my hands are lethal weapons, and if I kill you, I'll go to jail." <laughs> And he goes, yeah, if, he, if anyone kills anyone, it's called manslaughter, you go to jail. What's funny about that is it's implied in the movie Cliff killed his wife, but he didn't go to jail. 
right? Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's a bit of tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> um, there's also creates a bit of mor- moral ambiguity as to whether Cliff is a good guy. Anyway. Yeah. Because it also kind of inferred that Cliff might join the cult because he's a uh, uh, free spirit, what loose cannon. F- what the fuck is this movie? Like, what What in the actual Let me finish the point about Bruce Lee. Before you, so, so <laughs> Bruce Lee... Um, says, all right, we'll do a fucking Karate Kid showdown. Uh, three strikes is the winner, all right? Literally. Yeah. Um, so Bruce Lee kicks him in the chest. Cliff falls down. But Cliff lets him to see what he's doing to, to gauge him, mm-hmm. I guess, to get a read on him. Bruce Lee then goes, goes for it again, but Cliff just like fucking knocks him out. Not to knocks him out, but knocks him over. Throws him in the back. Throw, that's right. He throws him to a car and absolutely destroys a car door. Bruce Lee gets up and they're just about to start the final point or whatever, best of three, when um, that guy who manages the stunts, who's played by Kurt Russell, comes out and tells him to get the fuck off the set. So, basically, the issue is that everyone's having is that Bruce Lee wouldn't had, um, I guess was meant to be more... Oh, I don't know. I've never met Bruce Lee. I don't know much about Bruce Lee, but apparently he's more humble in real life and he never basically called out anyone and said that he could beat up anyone or kick anyone's ass. This makes him to look like a, the biggest wanker on the face of the planet. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I, I like Bruce Lee's movies, but I'm not a ma- massive mega Bruce Lee fan, so I'm not... like I wasn't overly offended, but I was kind of like, mm, does this really need to be him? It's like... It's just... It's just I don't know. I was just like, it was a cool little scene, but it was like, I don't know what I was watching. Like, at the end of the day, I guess they needed that scene to show how badass Cliff was and how good fighter Cliff was. So, get him in a bar fight with, yeah. like, four other yeah. people. Like, see, this movie, like, that's that's what I was just saying. What the, what the hell was this movie? Because you, you're telling me it's about the Manson murders and then you, the, well, you know, not the Manson murders. Well, I guess really it is, but you, then you look at um, IMDb and it talks about you know this struggling Hollywood actor in whatever era trying to you know sort his shit out like has no mention of Manson murders and you flick through the cast and they okay there's someone playing Charles Manson what the hell's going on and then you tell me that the you know Brad Pitt gets into a fight with Bruce Lee and it's like why like it just I know Tarantino's shtick is that he you know his his stuff is quirky and a bit odd. But that just seems like, hey, this will get a rise out of somebody. Let's just throw it in there, and it did. Yeah, job well, well I'm done. I'm not sure if it's. I see. I, I I disagree with your like the logic that he's doing it to be a provocateur, uh, or to be just a, a prick. I think he's doing it because he thinks. Well, who was the biggest baddest bat? Like the biggest badass in the '60s and '70s, early '70s, Bruce Lee. Why don't you, why don't you take out Cassius Clay then? Why, like you know, like. What, or progress I mean, or down. Hulk Hogan you know <laughs> it's just it, it, I well, don't no, because they didn't have a TV show like like the um, the Green Hornet so yeah, everything right, was referenced enough. by a TV show or uh, a movie like a famous movie that came out of that genre or the Sunlight genre Bruce, that era yeah but Bruce Lee I don't know he wasn't I guess at that time Green Hornet he was always the sidekick mm-hmm. um he never reached, yeah. He never reached max 
Anyway, oh, whatever. You know what? I guess I have to see the movie to actually get a full grip. Maybe one day. And this is what's hard about to explain to someone who hasn't seen it, but fundamentally... Yeah, good work, age. Dick. Yeah, good work, age, dickhead. Um, you got to forget that... you got to basically put, a, put it aside that this isn't about the Manson murderers. This is about two buddies who are both coming to a, a crossroads or a an end of a, a friendship because um, Rick can't afford to pay Cliff anymore because he's not a superstar. And some weird shit just happens to happen on them, if that makes sense. Mm. And what I don't like about it is that the dialogue in Tarantino's films was always used... To, it always used to build up to something. You know what I mean? It wasn't just dialogue for the sake of dialogue. It yeah. was tension. It was under... It was tension between two characters or it was... Um, dialogue to really drive the narrative of the overall story. Yeah. This is just a lot of fucking around and farting around, man. It's a very bloated film and you watch a lot of guys getting into cars and driving around old Hollywood and it takes the time to, I guess, breathe and just slow pacing. Um, But what I have a problem with in the last 30 minutes... Kurt Russell starts to um, give a narration on the film and then bang, it just sets up, let's just set up this fucking final scene with the murderers. So it's like, hmm, you could almost take out what the Manson stuff realistically because Charles Manson appears for two seconds in this film but you could also take out the Manson family, the whole hippie shit and come up with a better story just on these two characters. Like, they get involved in a drug deal that goes fucked up and rah, 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 circumstances happen to them. Anything other than this. Um, it's, Jesus Christ, it's 161 minutes. Dude, it's a it's a jack of all trades and master of none. Great performances, but overall, I would have to say, don't go to the movies to watch it. Just wait till you get to home and it comes out on DVD or something. Yeah, I'll just skip it. Fundamentally, like there was, <laughs> I think four people walked out in this film when I was watching this. In yeah. the movies, um, yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough but you one. know what? You know what though? Like, I mean, look, I'll give. <clears throat> let me say, four people walked out. I'll, I'll give Tarantino. Um, look, I'll give Tarantino credit, and like, I don't know if you're done talking mostly about this movie. Um, if you're not, cut me off. But look, I was, I was definitely a Tarantino fanboy. Um, back in the day, yeah, fuck off. Um, you did a fucking whole yeah. Wolf so what scene. I you did it. I you actually did it. You refilmed I did it. it. I refilmed. So for those who you know who don't give a shit, I um I studied film, and in year eleven, um, in year twelve, year twelve I went to film school to actually finish year twelve. Um, in year eleven, that's when I that's when I started getting into it properly, not just making home movies with a VHS camera, but actually, you know, doing digital editing and stuff. And for my final uh, for the project, I had to recreate. I recreated a scene from Pulp Fiction, and I did the whole um, when they're in the backseat, uh, when they're in the car, and they shoot. Um, oh Jesus, I forgot his name. I just I'm calling him Stan because I had 
Chris's mate, my brother's mate, Stan, play the character. Marvin. Uh, Marvin. Marvin, that's yeah. right. Just shot Marvin, that's it. <laughs> so from that scene to Mr. Wolf rocking up and everything, you know, and I put my whole spin on it, but I had to study Tarantino. I had to really study his style um, and what, what he did to make his films unique and then what I could do to put a spin on his stuff. Now, I'm not saying I did a masterpiece, but I did all right. Um, but that was from studying him. And he is a very interesting director to actually watch and listen to um, and and find out why he does things he does. And even as an actor, the choices that he makes, you know, is great. Um, all it's right, just well, he... I'll wrap this up by saying, look... What the fuck? It's... <laughs> no, no, no. Because what, what, I, I want to just wrap the final thought, then we'll get, we'll get into the deep dive of what you just said because there's oh, a, okay. lot, a lot to unpack there. Yeah, but go for here, it. This film, why is he... He does make very interesting choices and there are some great character studies in this film. 100%. But what you just said then, this film lacks. It fundamentally loses itself too much in the characters at the detriment of the overall arcing story. So Tarantino used to have a lot of... Um, he used to have... A, his, his style was that he could construct the narrative by giving you disjointed timelines. But you could... Um, and I guess not quick edits, but I know, editing a film in such a way that it wasn't a linear progression from start to end, right? Mm. This is a start to end film, like I think his last four. But yeah, you kind of think to yourself, what the fuck is actually happening besides watching two guys drive around 70s Hollywood? So with that aside, um, what is it exactly? What what, what happened to your love to Tarantino? Like what, what, what stage did you just give up on him? I gave up on him when he gave credit to Eli Roth and started uh, producing some of his movies and uh, calling him a... Um, well, pretty much just saying that he was a good director or Eli Roth or whatever, whatever you want to call his... I don't know, whatever you want to call him, whatever his name is. Um, what, what, what's your problem with him? He is a schlock horror movie director. Um, legit would just disembowel uh, characters on a scene while the character doing the disemboweling is having an orgasm for no other reason other than that just happening. Um, he would do movies where, you know, he's characters... He's a shock jock. Just, he's just a shock jock. He's got no talent at all. The only reason why he's even in a conversation is mm-hmm. is just because that's that's what he is. And this guy, like I, I've seen, because Tar- Tarantino himself um, gave one of these movies. Yeah, I mean, when when Tarantino starts putting his name in mm-hmm. producing, you know, as a producer, executive producer or whatever. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, this guy must be alright. And yeah. you you watch the sick shit this fucking weirdo puts to film, and you just yeah, that kind of lost it. And then what I realized, so, so hold on, so his endorsement of this guy was that you is is so what much, is is what kind of put you off. So what it, what time was that around? Uh, so that was around um, 2005. 2005 is when yeah. um, 
is when that happened. So right after the Kill Bill stuff. And and then what I started realizing is that, well, this guy is doing his imitation of Tarantino. Because mm-hmm. Tarantino, you know, as you said, that gratuitous violence and everything like that, it was essentially, and, and shock, it was essentially the same thing. So what I realized is that this guy was just like a poor man's Tarantino. But if mm. I didn't really like him, why do I like Tarantino's movies? Mm. And then when I started watching him, and, and I thought I'd give Tarantino one last try with a hateful eight. And then I was just like, this guy, it's just, I don't know. I just, I don't like movies where you just do shit for the sake of a reaction. And that's what it feels like, especially The Hateful Eight. That's what it felt like. See, The Hateful Eight to this is the, they're structured very similarly that you have these characters um, and they're somehow loosely connected and then it's very quiet, very slow, very, very almost, very character, like wordy, dialogue-y. Yeah. And then the last 30 minutes... There's narration, so Quentin Tarantino narrated The Hateful Eight, and then there's a massive uh, conflict, and then some sort of bittersweet resolution, right? Yeah. This is that's exactly this film. The only difference, though, Anth, is that in Hateful Eight, at least you have that undercurrent of tension as to who is out to kill or rescue. Sorry, um, that the woman I can't remember her name. Oh, who cares? Right? I don't. I don't yeah. remember most of that movie, but whatever. That There's no tension in this. There's only a couple of parts where there's actual tension. That part when um, Brad Pitt rocks up to the ranch with the hippie and he goes into the house, that's that's kind of a bit of tension because you think, oh, fuck, what's going to happen? And that's actually really good. And the second bit of the tension is when you see a pregnant Sharon Stone going out to dinner and you, and you know that this is the night that she dies because it tells you such that, you know, this is the, that night. Yeah. And you remember, I mean, with the Manson murders, some people might not remember, know this, but yeah, Shantae died. She got stabbed whilst pregnant. So you, you kind of fuck, fuck, this is where it's building up towards. But yeah. other than that, there's no tension and there's no sort of real, there's no drive. It gets this gets lost in his dialogue and characters. But that's what I mean. Like, uh, whether you show it or you don't show it, you're building to that. Hmm. There's no, there's no reason. There's no, like, I don't want to sound like a, okay, this might sound a bit um, contradictory to the movies that I watch. Oh, you know, actually, no. I'm going to defend myself because I don't watch schlock horror. I actually watch, you know, decent movies with a storyline and a purpose. But, and sometimes those B-grade movies are just fucking awesome. But I just don't get, I just don't get why. Why would you even dab in that? Like, what is what? What was the actual? What was his? What was his purpose? Like, if if he got rid of that bit of storyline, Sam, if he got rid of the the ending, if he got rid of that ending completely, would that have made the movie worse? Oh, well, he needed an ending because I don't know where it was going to go. Oh, no, no, no. Even if he just rolled credits and said, the end, right? Would that would that have ending... Did that resolve everything for you? Was that, Well, there's nothing to resolve because it just happened. That's my point. There's no, there's no arc, realistically. 
you're at the end of these guys' sort of careers. Yeah. And that's what you're witnessing, but that's not necessarily related to the murders of the hippies. Yeah. So you could cut that the hippie shit all out and yeah, you could have a story that these two came back from Italy after making some shit Italian films. And then they became best mates for the rest of the state, best mates for the rest of their lives. And it's, yeah. I just did, didn't make a difference for you. It wouldn't no. have made a difference. It's no. just it's in there for the sake of being in there. Like it's just in there for like, oh, this would be something hilarious. It's like he's sitting down there with a little freaking martini, going, oh yeah, yeah, this will be great, yeah. Oh, yeah, fucking I, nice. it was yeah. hilarious. The violence was actually funny. Like it was actually pretty funny. Yeah, and it's it good comedy, comedy, comedy. But I get your point. I mean. For me, I've always loved. I've loved pretty much everything he's ever done, bar maybe, probably the Kill Bills, and Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight, I just couldn't stand. I even liked Death Proof. I thought Death Proof was um, a good film, um, even though that tanked at the box office and pretty much had made no money and nobody liked it. But I, to your point, I do think as his career went on. He got so. What was so good about Tarantino when he first started out? He came out on the scene, nineteen ninety two, and he hit it out of the park with with Pulp, Reservoir Dogs and then nineteen ninety four Pulp Fiction, like a one two killer combo, like some of the best filmmaking you ever see. Period. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of youth, a lot of energy in those films, and a lot of I want to say something. I want to add to the to the genre of gritty crime or not true crime but like crime films or heist movies or um risk we took risks like gangster films he took his own interpretation right fantastic stuff triple triple a grade stuff he did borrow from certain other films like taking of pelham one two three everybody the gangsters in that film have missed are named after colors so that's what he did in reservoir dogs um, the suits. I can't remember where the suits are taken from, but they're taken from somewhere. Um, but my point is that wasn't the sole point. Like that wasn't. That was just the icing on the cake. It wasn't the whole point of the film existing. It wasn't his, his whole point wasn't to exist to, to. Be just a. Do you remember this or how cool was this? It was. He was just referencing those things because. They formed his. Uh, they f- they gave an impression and formed his ability as a director. So yep. they were just little background things that you could pick up on. Then you come to say, you get to Kill Bill. So true. Same with the Pulp Fiction. Uh, Jackie Brown, I think Pete, that just suffers from. I guess. Just probably not being. The narrative not being as interesting, um, and maybe the cast not being as good as his other two films, but it's still a good film. Jackie Brown is still a good film. I like Jackie Brown. Mm. But then you come to his genre films, and these are purely genre films. So the nineteen ninety two Reservoir Dogs, nineteen ninety four Pulp Fiction, and um, uh, Jackie Brown, nineteen ninety seven Jackie Brown. They're set in the 90s in LA. Like right? They're not really a genre film. They're just, this is what happens in this with to these gangsters, or this is what happens to these um, 
you know, this person who's who's trying to meant to be helping out the FBI, but then decides to steal the money for herself. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not a genre film as such. <sighs> but then Kill Bill Volume One, Volume Two come out, mm. and I'm not a massive fan of Kill Bill. I just I like revenge films, but ultimately I think these two films especially Kill Bill Volume 2 is the first instance where Quentin Tarantino probably could have exercised a bit of restraint yes I agree because they're they're very overblown bloated and particularly Kill Bill Volume 2 I'll say some parts are boring now I probably like Kill Bill Volume Two. Um, I actually I actually prefer Volume Two over Volume One. Yeah, because, um, they got rid of that anime stuff. Yeah, and uh, like I know, like uh, I'll give respect to Tarantino in this regard is that he's like oh, I'm I'm making a movie that is anime. Mm. And put anime in it. That's great. You know what? Fantastic. Round of applause. You legend. You. But it definitely took out of that movie for me and then I was really happy when he got rid of it for part two well I don't I don't really mind I didn't necessarily mind the anime stuff but I mean that's that's a fair criticism but I think that's the first instance where he's literally lifting things and making his movie about that genre so in this he wants to have a revenge movie set in Tokyo um the music everything the music he wants to have also make it um it's a. It's not full blown yet, but you can tell he's kind of directly lifting things and just putting it into his film, right? Into yes. his. He's not. He's kind of losing that cutting brown, that cutting edge, that drive, that creativeness. That instead of being inspired by, he's literally just cut paste. Okay, I mean that's fine. I mean if, if you want to do that, do that. Like it's a, as a revenge film, it's fine. Um. Okay, so Kill Bill Volume 1 comes out. Everyone loves it because of the gratuitous violence um, and the cool soundtrack. Uh, Volume 2 comes out. People think it's boring, it's slow, um, but I like Michael Madsen's performance in it. Um, The ending, it goes on forever and ever and ever and could use a cut, but ultimately, there's a super cut of Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2 that's out there, which I haven't seen, but I heard it's excellent. And what it does is fundamentally cuts down these two volumes to one really succinct movie and re-edits it so that um what's her name Beatrice what's her name in the fucking in the famine Kill Bill uh, The Bride um, the, bride. the Bride yeah The Bride her real name is Cato or something I don't know they, they find out her name Beatrice Cato or whatever her name is so The Bride she finds out her kid's alive and she has to go find her kid in volume 2 but this edit what it does is she doesn't know her kids alive until the final scene. And mm. it's like, wow, this is really cool. So can you ever can imagine you- someone saying, Oh, I re-edited um, Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. No, you can't. Cause they're perfect. Like fundamentally <laughs> they're perfect films, but this is the first instance we have Tarantino losing his edge. I, I would say fundamentally that's what he's the happens. But then around this time, which is really interesting because I know this too. 2004567 he goes into this deep deep dive of grunge grindhouse cinema and yes. he's try, he tries to replicate all the B grade films of the 70s and 
80s and yep. make them cool and relevant again, but to little to no success. So case in point, Grindhouse Death Proof. So Grindhouse Death Proof was uh, a double feature with Planet Terror and it was meant to be on purpose, he, quotation marks, a B-grade movie. Well, just just funny. I just clicked Grindhouse because I'm trying to just keep up with the IMDb as, you, as mm-hmm. you're going. <laughs> Directors for Grindhouse. I mean, there's three more credits after this, but it's uh, mm-hmm. Robert Rodriguez, fine. Then Eli Roth. And then writers, Robert Rodriguez. Okay, fine. Then Rob Zombie. Fuck. <laughs> God, well, Jesus. <laughs> it's the first time Tarantino lost money. Like a film of his didn't make any money. And, yeah, I wonder why. And it fundamentally comes down to the thing is that I've already, I've shitted on Roger, Roger, uh, Robert Rodriguez because I don't think he's a good director either. And just because you put high gloss on B-grade things, B-grade isn't cool because it's got this high gloss over it. It's cool because it's um, cult has a cult following. It's not well known. Um, it's cool because it's so poorly made. You like it because it's cheap. You like it because it's fun to watch these mm-hmm. cheap, shitty movies play out its course of that. Like it's it it's not. You don't like a thing because it's. It's hard to articulate, but what they're fundamentally doing is just doing B grade, but in A grade money. It's like if somebody. Okay, well, okay, just hear me out because like, they did like, remake and, and B-grade films don't exist because like, if they, they had the B money grade. and resources, they want to be B-grade. It's just yeah, a bunch so of what, people making cheap shit films. But then these guys saying. are making cheap, on purpose, cheap shit films. And it's like, what are we doing here? It's like The Evil Dead. Evil Dead was fantastic because they had no budget. It, 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 what, you know, they, they maximized their money and it was what it was. You, you couldn't recreate that. What happens when they put money onto it and they try to recreate it? You have the remake, which uh, it was what it was. You, you can't, you can't deliberately make shit. It's shit trying to be good, and then that's how these movies come about. I, I don't know. They're making. You can't. I don't know. Fuck that. You know what? I'm just. I'm done. I'm going home. <laughs> so <laughs> then he, in 2009, he makes. A very much genre film, *Glorious Bastards*, which is a rip-off, or the name's a rip-off, of an Italian film by the same name, spelled differently, but fundamentally the same name. And it's about uh, an elite group of soldiers um, killing Nazis, fundamentally, right? But that's a genre, very much a genre film uh, of like you know, if you think about all the shitty World War Two films that Italy made and the Europeans made in the sixties, um, like. Uh, uh, Ilsa, the Ilsa series, the She-Wolf of the SS, that sort of stuff. It's the first time, though, he actually doesn't rely on perhaps the shittiness. Like, he doesn't go, oh, I like this. I'll make it cool, so you should like it because I've done it, right? What he does is he builds a very compelling story, casts it exceptionally well, has a story that um, has stakes, that has, um, I guess, relevance, and also has um, 
just a very narrative, like a very strong narrative, where the good guys need have this golden opportunity to kill Hitler and end the war. And if you had the opportunity to end the war, you would do it. Like it's just cool. And then at the very end, they kill Hitler and burn down the cinema. Right? Cool. All right. Reversionist history, fine. But at the end of the day, it's cast well. Story's great. They knock it out of the park. It's this, he he um, has fantastic discovery of Christoph Waltz. Everyone's really good in this film. Brad Pitt's exceptional as Aldo. No problems there because it's not just him replicating something shit and making it glossy and saying, "Ah, oh, because I've done it, you should like it." It's actually him <clears throat> taking those components of those genre films, being inspired by those genre films, and combining it with his touch and his flair that he, in my opinion, we hadn't seen since Pulp Fiction. So we get that particular that first scene when um, the Jew hunter, uh, um, Christoph Waltz, rocks up to that French farm and he interrogates that farmer and he finds out where the, that he's hiding that family of Jewish people. There's tension in that scene. There's a, there's, you cut the tension with a knife, it's that thick, it's, and... Christoph Waltz is that engaging and the dialogue is tense and, and it's every sentence has a fucking purpose and you realize you believe that it's a real conversation between two people. It's great. I I know you could you probably don't like it. Fine, that's cool. I mean, it's Dude, not I everyone's face. I'm not gonna lie, I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? Oh well, no. I'd, I'd recommend it. Um, but it's he, he's back. You think, oh fuck, he's back. Same thing with Django Unchained. So Django Unchained, again, I really liked it, but not everyone does. did, sorry. Um, it's basically Quentin Tarantino, again, inspired by the Spaghetti Westerns. Uh, so Django, for those who don't know, is an actual Spaghetti Western. Um, fantastic Spaghetti Western, actually. Uh, I can't remember if it's Django. Which Django is the good one, though? There's two. I think it's just no, Django sorry, 60, 1966. Yeah, Django 1966. Um, he lifts a lot from it directly, the character Django, um, but that's okay. I mean, he takes the theme, he takes some other stuff, but I mean, it's fine. Again, he casts it well. He has tension, particularly in the, in the final scene where, well, the final act of the film, maybe not the final act, maybe the third act of the film, where um, they're trying to negotiate to get um, Hildy from uh, Monsieur Candy. Leonardo DiCaprio is memorizing as Monsieur Candy. He is phenomenal. He is fantastic. Um, the lead character, uh, Jamie Foxx, is Django. Everyone ticks all the boxes. Again, it's him being inspired by that genre and having his inflection on it and taking it in perhaps in directions, you know, not thought possible. Probably, in my opinion, not as good as Inglorious Bastards overall, but still a very strong film. And then you get these last two films, The Hateful Eight and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, Anth, I don't know what the, well, I don't know what's going on, but they're very dull and bloated messes, pretty much. So, so overall, I think Tarantino is a phenomenal writer, a phenomenal director, but I don't know, man, like. I kind of I can see your logic in what you're saying that he that at what point does he the stuff you put in just because it's cool like 
it does it have relevancy does it serve a narrative you know what i mean look what uh, you know what i'll give i'll give tarantino i give him a i've, I've given him a fair bit of criticism during this pod mm. uh, i'm sure i would have uh, said the opposite of me so that's your fault mate um if this pot if this gets a bit of hate he loves tarantino. But, he loves tarantino oh do you oh sorry buddy um Oh, but I'll give him his credit. I'll give him his credit. Tarantino has built um, a reputation on his films, and the one thing he has not done, which you might disagree with me, um, but he hasn't overexposed himself. So he's got he's got a reputation, and when a Tarantino movie is released, that is what it is. It's a Tarantino movie. So people go to it know, knowing that they're going to watch something completely different from everything else because it's a Tarantino film. And if you look at if you look at all his movies, everything is different. However, now again, I haven't seen this latest one, but judging by what you've said, it seems like the last two have been different but the same in regards that it's a different setting, it's a different story but it's the same long-winded movie to get to that final climactic tarantino ending would you say yeah, that yeah literally it is literally yeah um, so he's got he's got a rep tarantino's got a rep he knows people are going to come and see it hopefully the next one that he can produce out there because I know he doesn't have many more under his belt which is fine he's made a shitload of money um, can bring that spark back yeah I mean he said he said that I'm only going to make 10 films and this is his ninth um, mm-hmm. not including obviously like you know, the stuff he's written on like Tree Romance or um, Natural Born Killers or From Dusk Till Dawn he's talking about <laughs> as a director Jesus. yeah From Dusk Till Dawn isn't a good movie it's okay Nah, it's you know what it's over it's, it's over the top it, it, pe- it's people okay. people cream on that movie mm. it's just like uh, no, like it's another one sex machine's pretty up. funny in it but i mean it's okay oh, yeah. it's not the kid is no good the the chubby asian kid that's his stepson whatever is no good it blows up or something doesn't he oh who knows <laughs> i can't remember um i actually think it would be a more interesting story if they did just did um if they just focused on the, um, what's his name, uh, Quentin Tarantino and uh, what's his name, George Clooney, if they just yeah. focused there on them trying to escape the law, I actually think those two had an interesting story. But anyway, yeah, but they and, did um, at the very beginning. That's what yeah. captivated you. Then all of a sudden, vampires come out of nowhere. Yeah, Robert Rodriguez, <laughs> your mate. Robert Rodriguez. So he said he's only going to make 10 films and he said he could possibly make a Star Trek film. I don't believe he'll make a Star Trek film. No. Um, but what I'm actually really excited about is that he says that once he's done directing, he would like to transition to being an author and writing books. And I think for the way he writes his scripts, that would mean he'd, we'd probably get a lot of cool, dialogue-heavy, really meaty books where he can just flesh out characters and just have them do whatever. And I'm really all for that. I mean, I like to read, so it doesn't really bother me um, if I see a movie or read a book. I think that is a, perhaps the format that allow him to be as expressive as he would like. Because fundamentally, it looks like Tarantino now has a real problem with um, cutting a film down. 
Mm. Because this was, uh, what did you say this Hollywood, Once Upon a Time Hollywood was? It was... It was like 161 minutes or something. Yeah, something ridiculous. Uh, yeah, 161 like... minutes. And <sighs> Hateful Eight, same deal, was 168 minutes. Yeah, it was a hundred... Yeah, that... I remember... See, uh, shout out to my brother Chris. He's like, oh... He really likes that. Eight. He says he really likes that yeah, film. I'm like, he, what are you talking about, man? He loved it, man. man. He, he told me to watch it that... Um, we at dinner. He's like... Um, mm. Uh, after you should watch The Hateful Eight and I don't even remember how I got a copy I think maybe you lent me a copy or got a co- I can't remember and I, I put it on and then fucking I was like man this movie's dragging next minute it's like midnight and I'm still watching this some bitch and I'm like fuck it took me honestly it took me three no four days to finish watching it because it just kept going I was just fucking over it well anyway. okay so that's a great point and you look at Reservoir Dogs, right? That's 99 minutes. Fucking, that's a perfect film. Mm-hmm. Um, like, perfect film. There's no fat. It's just every scene is needed. And then yep. you've got um, Pulp Fiction, which is 154 minutes. Okay, it's a bit longer, but it's a, it's still every scene's very much needed. Yeah, but Pulp Fiction, you could almost say, was a tale of two movies. Yeah. It, and, and that's what kind of kept you, kept you going because... When it was Bruce Willis's time, it was Bruce Willis's time, and you you were watching something different. And then when you had Travolta on there and Sam Jackson, it was mm. different again. You know, so that kept you rolling. You weren't just stuck in a freaking bar no. for three then, hours. Yeah, exactly. Nailing then, a door shut. And then you got um, yeah. See, but Chris has really bizarre taste, so we can't really. Yeah, your mate, yeah. your mate, your mate. Um, but. <laughs> You look at then um, Jackie Brown, 154 minutes, but it's the first time Tarantino gets panned or criticized for having a narrative that's a bit slow and lackluster, yeah. which it is. Then you go to Kill Bill Volume 1, and that's 111 minutes. So, okay, he's, you know, action, right? Kill Bill Volume 2, 136 minutes. People hate Kill Bill Volume 2 because it's too long and it doesn't really go anywhere <laughs> really much. Um yeah. Um, I mean, it's Sword like it could have been like thirty minutes. He had too much film for one movie, but not enough for two, pretty much. Death <laughs> Proof, I feel like, is a very short film. It is one hundred and thirteen minutes, and it's pretty. It's a pretty simple story, so it's very. Um, it is very Tarantino in the style that it's a slow burn, and then it climaxes with violence. Um, Inglorious Bastards, it's about the same length, I think, at one hundred and fifty-three minutes. So that's about the same as Jackie Brown and Pulp Fiction. But then yep. Django jumps up to 165. Hateful Eight jumps up again to fucking 168. But the actual, the one they had, a, they had a special feature that went for 187 minutes with the intermission. Jesus Christ! And then Once Upon a Time is 161. So fuck me, like he he does. I don't know. I still like his movies, and I will still go see his movies. Um, when when released, but ultimately, I think the last. Well, he's only going to make one more, but I also I think like most directors, as they seem to age, they seem to lose that edge and that drive and that ability, just that killer instinct. You know what I mean? That really good killer instinct. Mm. Like you look at Spielberg, you look at um, Francis Ford Coppola. That's a great example of one. Um, Brian De Palma. Uh, Scorsese is probably maybe the exception, but he, 
Yeah, Scorsese's first half is a lot better, a lot stronger than his second half. Um, maybe that's yeah. not fair. Let's have a look. Maybe that's not that's not fair. Look, Tarantino is going to make money. All right, I know what you're saying Tarantino. He knows he's going to make money. He's going to make money. He will. At the other, but you know what? I, I give again. I give him credit. He could just like phone it in and just make a. Uh, an A an A to Z movie, right? But he's got the freaking he's got every letter in there plus all the numbers. You know what I mean? He he, he does his thing. It's just it's a bit eh <laughs> at this stage in the game. It's just a bit eh. Anyway. Yeah, I would say I would say Scorsese is probably the exception. I think Scorsese has does have some duds, but you know, Wolf of Wall Street came out in two thousand thirteen. That's a pretty good film. Uh, Shutter Island, The Departed, the, the, they all came out in late two thousand, so that's all good films. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, he even Tarantino himself has said that directing is a young man's game. You need a young man's passion for it. Mm. So, I think I'm I'm glad perhaps he's gonna only be doing one more film, and he might have to wait another three years until we get it. That's fine, but at the end of the day, we still have got. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm glad that he's maybe putting a pin on it because ultimately I think he's kind of lost that really killer instinct. But I yes. but having said that, I'm happy. I'm happy that these films exist because of for the reasons I mentioned about giving people a chance to act and he's doing real sets, real effects, and he mm-hmm. has given us some such stellar films, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, which are two perfect films. There are zero flaws with those films. That. He's got so much goodwill in the bank, he can pretty much do whatever he wants, and I'll see it. Actually, I'll give. I'll, I know we've been going for a while now, but I'll give um, Tarantino a lot of credit as well. You just mentioned that, you know, giving people a chance to act. Um, you look at all his cast lists. I mean, yeah, mm. he's got a listers in there le- leading the role, but he he opens that door up. You know, he's got anybody <laughs> in his movies, literally anybody. You know what I mean? He, he he's got a, he's got young actors. He's got all types just playing. Um, even if it's just small, significant, blinking you miss it roles, but you kind of remember it for being oh that dude was crazy. You know what I mean? Or something. He he gives he gives young actors a chance to showcase their abilities. Gives young he's, actors a chance. Gives old actors a chance. He gives your yeah. type people a chance. He gives everyone a chance, and he gives them good material yeah. to work with. Um, exactly. So. Yeah, I just wish he was maybe a bit more inspired to perhaps find a story or something that didn't rely so heavily on something in the past or a genre in the past that he's affixated with. Like, we get it. B-grade films are fun. Spaghetti Westerns are fun. Violence is fun. But how about we, you know, find something you're passionate about and just, I don't know, just... Give us that fucking, give us that, give us that film that isn't set in a particular genre, a particular time, and tell us a story that you haven't told us before, because you can, you can do, you can do such cool things, and I think by sticking to a, a genre such as nineteen sixties, spaghetti westerns, fucking World War Two, whatever, um, you kind of do narrow the scope, and I don't know, I just feel like. I don't know. I just felt really empty, at, and 
not depressed or sad or anything because the other day it's just a film, but disappointed that back-to-back Tarantino is slipping. And could be worse, man. What's that? <laughs> oh, oh he could be man. like Ke- no, he could be like Kevin Smith. Make one decent movie and then the rest all duds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but rely on that uh, one decent movie. <laughs> Kevin Smith has got some good golden gems. So, oh yeah, like um, uh, what, what's that one called? Uh, shit. Um, what chasing Amy? No, 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 no. Chasing Amy's one? great. Clerks one and two are great. Zach and Mary make a porno. Is fa- is fucking hilarious. I don't care what anyone says. What's that walrus one called? Tusk. Tusk. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that 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 fucking awesome movie. Have you seen um, what's the one? Red Hill, Red State. That was a good film. No. Yeah. Anyway, let's not talk about anyway. Smith. So, with that, listeners, as always, you can find us on Twitter, on SoundCloud, on iTunes. At tw- our Twitter handle is at fmmrpod. Uh, and it's, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for chatting, Tarantino, with me. Oh, no worries. I wish I saw it now, but no. <laughs> <laughs> and until next week listeners we'll catch you down the road bye